demons, barbarians, ruthless killers, undead souls. The prophecy tells of their return, when the planets will align and the red moon will shine, they'll come back to this world to conquer, slay and destroy. The power to stop the domination is in your hands, and as the ancient takes toll, you'll slay them with swords and shotguns. Greetings and good evening, everybody. I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. And we are Swords and Shotguns, the weird fiction and horror podcast. Swords and Shotguns is available freely on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and your favorite podcasting app. If you have any questions or suggestions towards the show, you can leave them at swords.shotguns at gmail.com or on the official Facebook page. Before we get started... Initially, this episode was supposed to be about Lovecraftian movies, Lovecraftian cinema, uh, whether it be adaptations of Lovecraftian fiction or uh, completely new ideas, kind of carrying this uh, spirit of uh, Lovecraftian horror. But the problem is, we uh, actually should first start thinking about what Lovecraftian even means. Well, this is actually kind of a point of contention, because... When you say Lovecraftian horror, there's the horror is a very specific kind of thing, but when you think about Lovecraftian monster, it's very different. Like the monsters, you have like you probably have you probably thinking tentacles, tentacles, tentacles right now, unless you've actually gone through this. Yeah. And then it's just slimy and gross. But there's an entire list, and like nine of, and some of them don't even have a physical shape, according to some of the older stories. Yeah, it's all it's all actually uh, kind of tricky and kind of difficult to get your head around that. And not that many movies actually, in my opinion, got it perfectly right. Even the ones that were supposed to be adaptations of certain stories. Uh, but before we get into this discussion, uh, I guess we can get into some uh, recommendations and whatever we were up to uh, in this uh, kind of lengthy uh shall we say hiatus of the show uh lengthy indeed but it was to to our credit it was christmas time and we have big families I, I guess that we both were kind of occupied with some awesome video games that came out around this time. Same one, actually. Like, we both got Divinity 2 Original Sin, and it is ridiculously massive. Exactly. I, I have barely started with it, actually. It's like... Yeah, you're not even on the first island yet, are you? Yeah, it's like I didn't really have time. There was There was work, and then in between that, I actually 
gotten myself a uh, a Nintendo Switch, so this has been you know occupying a lot of my time. Trust me, I know the I know how bad it is. The ADD of I got a new thing, I got a new thing. Finish the old thing first. You got it in the back. Yeah, head. yeah, exactly. I still have yeah, I still have an unfinished playthrough of of uh, the original Persona Three. I've got an unfinished playthrough of Pillars of Eternity, and uh, yeah, I'm just actually I found that it's much easier for me uh, to play. Uh, console video games than PC video games because with PC I get them instantly and I don't really have that much weight behind them. It's like I usually don't even pay the full price or whatever. It's it's rarely that I get, you know, uh, MSRP on a game. But in consoles, you know, it's a big purchase. So you really want to squeeze everything out of it. I get it. Well, I made a big purchase on my PC so I got enough squeezing out of it. But no one can fault you for taking for Divinity Slow. And this is what they, and like, there's a guy in our, we met in the Discord server. There's this guy we invited to there called Zach, and he makes me want to punch him in the face yeah. because he has so much damn time because he doesn't have a job. Like, he's, <laughs> yeah. I guess you. I mean, you need a job, but. You're, if you're a college student. I know, but you're a college student that can afford to build a $2,000 gaming PC. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could afford that, but, you know, all the priorities, I guess. Screw you and your better economy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you get you get something, you lose or something. Pay, I guess better pay, <laughs> better pay than ours. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, I guess if you were if you were earning what we are earning and living in in the U.S., you'd be poor, I guess. Despite the economy being a Lovecraftian monster all its own, maybe we should talk about the actual ones again. Oh, sorry, I thought I was supposed to provide the interlude. <laughs> no, that's not how the melody works, I think. Uh, well, either way, um, Chris, let's let's think about that. What does it even mean that something is Lovecraftian? What is Lovecraftian horror to begin with? Okay, well, the horror of Lovecraft is actually, it can be summed up in one word, insignificance. It's like, the absolute horror of Lovecraft is the fact that, I mean, you go back to the original, what is it, I want to, I keep wanting to say Shadows Over Innsmouth, but is that the name of the story? Uh, it the is the name, name. Uh, I think it's it's just Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah, but basically, like, they ram into Cthulhu at the end, and the horror is, you are so insignificant that you don't even matter to this thing. It's far beyond you. It's like, yeah. that's like the main horror of these old deities, like, you are just... Okay, there's like this recurring quote in anime, like it's like that the anime villains and sometimes protagonists use like, and they say, "Consider yourself an ant that, and I am a boot. You have no quarrel with me, but I just don't notice you." Yeah, it's like actually, I like to think about uh, Lovecraftian horror as a sort of, uh, I would say, reverse Buddhism, because with Buddhism you have this idea, at least some schools of it, uh, you have this idea that you shouldn't harm any living creature. And some Buddhist monks even have like these special made, or even just regular, just um, like branches that they brush in front of uh, in front of them when they're walking, so that they don't step on a bug or anything like that. Because for them, all life is significant just as much as you know any others. Like it doesn't matter if you're a human, if you're a worm, or anything. But with Lovecraft, it's like no life is significant. Yeah, like. Well, then again, the guy was hallucinating on beans and said, Ellen, well, no salad. Yeah, yeah, but it's Wasn't like... Wasn't he afraid of lettuce? 
I don't know. I, Lovecraft was afraid of pretty much the whole world except for, I don't know, maybe English aristocrats or whatever. But uh, the thing I think is uh, that uh, Lovecraftian horror doesn't really lend itself very well to any particular aesthetic, which is something that people often think about. Because when you think about it, it's all about um, the atmosphere and the feeling of insignificance, whether it's be um, Call of Cthulhu, where you have uh, a being that basically drives people insane. But when you think about it, they don't really seem to be trying or even caring or even they might not be aware that they are doing that. It's like the thing, uh, our civilization, our world is so insignificant that it doesn't really matter what happens to us. And the same can be said about uh, any other. It's like whenever there's a follower of any uh, deity or creature or like being or presence in any of the Lovecraftian stories, it's always uh, they believing that they can harness this power. But the power is completely oblivious to the fact that they even exist. Yep. And the thing is, like, we shouldn't tell, in the well, I'll see this later, but we actually have an interesting lore point about that with one of the more famous outer deities. Yeah. Who you, you may have heard of, it's like, I can't pronounce him right, but the man in black is what he's typically called, but we'll touch on him a bit later. Yeah, it's like, it's 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 one of the po- points about Lovecraft. It's like, the names are supposed to be hard to pronounce. Like, I get it. I, there's actually this really interesting thing I saw where there was someone trying to make a gif of a Lovecrafting creature being born, but basically they made it distorted, and it kind of looked like, you know how glitches, like, they portray glitches in media where, like, the screen goes Yeah. It portrayed yeah. like that, but kind of with an organic, rounded edge, and like, that's kind of what it is like lovecrafty monsters the horror is they are so beyond you you can't even process it like yeah it's often like it's often that you don't even get a description of whatever the person that's going mad is seeing it's you get a description of the reaction and that's what's scary because you don't know what it is you you have you have no uh, way of describing what it is that's so scary and so undescribable uh, that it makes people go absolutely mad. Hence, why like tentacles is so ubiquitous. Like you know, if you notice, like you see tentacles in a lot of Eldritch horror movies, or at least the crummier ones. But you, they, the ones that are aren't terrible, do keep the actual huge monster hidden. Like you don't ever, you're not supposed to see the huge thing. You're supposed to see part of it that you're buying to process. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I think uh, one of the problems and one of the ideas uh, why uh, particularly Cthulhu got so popular even though like when you actually get into the gist of, of, of the Cthulhu mythos uh, even you know named posthumous like after Lovecraft's death uh, the Cthulhu mythos is that Cthulhu wasn't really that important it's just some guy that sits on the bottom of the sea and sure they can bring uh, destruction yeah. and suffering to the mankind, but so can any other creature. And, like, the thing is, Cthulhu actually has a solid form, which is actually technically makes him slightly less powerful than some, like, his grandfather, Azathoth. Yeah, it's like, at the same time, it seems that at the same time, it's easier to grasp, and this is why people kind of get uh, so fascinated with it. But at the same time, it's not really in the, you know, like in in the very spirit of of what Lovecraftian horror is, because 
yeah, like most of the other cre- creations are more like you know, like deformed spaghetti-looking thingies that don't really have any shape. They're just they're just like a uh, messed up clusters of atoms that uh, are there to basically devour anything that lives and and scare you shitless, basically. To be honest, like, the only time in recent memory Eldritch uh, myths and Lovecraftian mythos has been handled very well in a visual medium has been the Hellboy comics. With mm. the or- I don't know if you've ever read them, but they have this thing yeah, yeah, yeah. called the Orgdu Drahad, which, yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen the first Hellboy movie, it was that big tentacle monster at the end. But honestly, re- if you read the comics, uh, Mike Mignola's art with, like, those deep blacks and, like, you've seen the Hellboy comics, what they look like. Like Lovecraft really, Lovecraft actually really works there because they know how they know how to use it and keep it like being cosmic horror. I think this is why it's called cosmic horror as a genre, besides like like beside Lovecraft, is because like you have supernatural horror, but like every horror movie is very. When you think about it, most horror movies are very personal. There are victims. There are like three or four people or slasher movies. Cosmic horror right. is just a whole other level of horror. Nine tenths out of ten, when you get to the cosmic level it's like superheroes saving stuff and this is like the one exception like oh no no this is everything's going to die absolutely it's it's when you see like uh i don't know uh bram stoker's dracula or for instance um frankenstein or uh, any of the edgar Allan poe short stories it's always character driven but uh in lovecraft it's always uh, the character basically retelling the story where there isn't any protagonist, or there isn't really any antagonist. It's basically the story of uh, unspeakable horror happening, and this is like the sole purpose of that person. It's like they often begin with that they don't matter, or that they will eventually die, or that they are about to commit suicide or something, because the very thing that happened to them makes it impossible for them to be the hero. Because if you experience whatever happened, uh, all humanity is sucked away. It's it's like completely. It's not life changing. It's life uh, shattering experience. Yeah, but like another interesting point of order for like Lovecraft mythos is, it, generally speaking, so a lot of people like get tricked into thinking that the more malevolent entities are gods, like are like a good, like they're god. It's like. I mean, I don't say the guy like I didn't have a hate on for religion, but he kind of had a hate on for religion sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you read letters and essays of Lovecraft, he was, uh, besides being a raging racist and xenophobe, he was, he deemed himself a rational. So I guess, as much as I love his writing, I guess he would be wearing a fedora nowadays. Oh my God! I just imagine Cthulhu in a fedora. Um, you know what? Yeah, we live in the Google age. We this image probably exists. There's probably a drawing on that. How much does it exist? Uh, however much you want it to exist. Do you think it's, do you think it's under hipster Cthulhu or do you think it's under jackass Cthulhu? Uh, I think it might be under euphoric Cthulhu. I'm typing it in and seeing what happens. Well, while you're searching for that, uh, I think. Something that uh, a lot of fiction creators, whether it be movies, video games, or whatever, is that they do like to get this aesthetic feel of of Cthulhu oh. because Cthulhu is the only explainable uh, creature beyond some of the 
lesser things like you know fish people or uh whatever it's like um but th these are usually reserved for like stuff like castlevania or something like that but like it's usually tentacles cthulhu and and all that and i guess that it lends itself perfectly to parody as well because there isn't really much that you can parody with uh or laugh at with just a jumbled bunch of like creatures that uh you can't even name because their names are unpronounceable yeah uh but um wait what is it what i was getting at um you had a point yeah i had a point but i don't have it anymore your train of thought has been derailed yes it has been derailed into madness um oh lovecraft is affecting us right now yes as always <laughs> um but I, I, what I was thinking about is, uh, can we retroactively call something a little bit Lovecraftian if it came before uh, Lovecraft himself? It's well, it's uh, it's something that happens with pretty much anything that, in hindsight, something might have been a little bit like that. Or like you know, we tend to think of cosmic horror as just Lovecraft, but you know, he had to have his ideas from somewhere. Okay, here's the thing. Lovecraft helped to find it, but it's the exact same thing with Tolkien and all of Norse mythology. <laughs> it, yeah, kind of, kind of it's like, like that. It's yeah. basically the exact same thing. Like it's like Tolkien. I mean, all Lord of the Rings is is a massively updated version of Beowulf and Norse mythology with a bit more Christianity pushed in. I mean, if you read uh, The Hobbit, there's actually when there's a enumeration of all the uh, dwarves in the party. Uh, if you re read, I believe it was the Poetic Edda. Yeah, Poetic Edda. There's actually a naming yes. list when the the Aesir make all the dwarves, and turns out one of the dwarves is actually named yeah, one of the dwarves is actually named Gandalf in the uh, Poetic Edda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, he yeah. is, and that's but yeah, yeah that's Lo also where no, the name comes yeah, Lovecraft from. obviously had to base it off something, but like he was the guy who defined it, like Tolkien defined all of medieval fantasy for medieval European fantasy at least for us. Yeah. But it's like uh, I'm don't I'm not sure if if it would be a direct uh, direct inspiration, but I guess a little bit of mythology must have went into his train of thought. I mean, when you think about Greek mythology, yeah. everything comes from this black mess of nothingness that's called chaos, basically, and that's where all the gods were born. It's it kind of does sound very scary when you think about it. It's it's it is a little unsettling. It's like. Going back to the Persona 3 playthrough you haven't finished, you didn't get... Do you even know... You know how it ends, right? Um, I mean, I know how it ends. I, I have finished it before, yeah. Because, like, the manifestation of Nyx comes down. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... And, like, Nyx is... Well, Nyx has got a darkness, but the chaos... But the thing is, that's actually more... Actually, it's very common. Like, even in uh, Judeo-Christian mythology with Eden, it's like... It was all darkness till God showed up. It's, yeah. like, more... But, like, you go to Egyptian or even uh, Zoroastrianism, which is, like, the old Persian mythology. Yeah. And, like, everything has the darkness and then rising. Like, no matter, like, it feels like every mythology, no matter how old, starts in darkness. Yeah, because it's like, huh, that's actually interesting. Because that's actually kind of how physics work. I mean, I, I don't mean that they work as in mythology, because uh, that's that's that would be a little bit too much. But what I'm getting at is... Uh, there isn't really uh, anything like darkness. There's just you know like absence of light. But I guess light would first have to appear to you know uh, 
for darkness to be recognized, so darkness is nothingness. It's kind of yeah, I, I may I may be overthinking that, but uh, you know, it's like well, either way, um, I think that you know the most uh, obvious inspiration for Lovecraft in terms of horror is something that he mentions himself, which is uh, Edgar Allan Poe, which is uh, very you know rich in themes of uh, desperation, of helplessness, and of like basically fate that you cannot really reverse. But I guess that um, basically you could say that Lovecraft is Edgar Allan Poe on quantum physics. That's a comparison I was not expecting, but okay. Because actually uh, the thing that kind of broke Lovecraft and made him a little bit uh, of the freak that he was uh, was that during his lifetime was basically the time when uh, all the news of all the of the quantum mechanics were being discovered and basically the old physics were kind of uh maybe not shattered but they definitely had to rethink a lot of things it's basically like the world being pulled apart so in that sense it very much fits with this concept of this uh universe being very unstable of being not welcome to to humans i thought quantum physics would happen after world war ii because didn't we have like Albert Einstein's famous "God does not play with dice" speech when we discovered more. No, actually, actually, some some of the some of the uh, some of the, mm, the first findings were before that. Actually, uh, okay. I mean, it was halted because World War Two happened. So you know, you, all you had to move all your resources to uh, to warfare. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there was actually some information on that. And um, yeah, the problem is basically that that uh, you couldn't really trust science to make you feel better, because the more you dug deeper, you know, you you felt worse about yourself. Because suddenly, like, it's it's not that that the, the universe is built for humans. The universe is just there, and the fact that we exist is just some you know, freak accident of nature. And that's a depressing way to view it. It's like, and that's why a lot of people have like are very devout in their religions and I mean you're atheist and I'm Christian so we're gonna get into a bit of a thing here but like what I'm saying is like as far, like, as, far as I know I just consider like finding all, all this cool crap about the universe because let's face it what are the chances that humanity shouldn't have happened and everything worked out this perfectly for us to exist I think that one way of looking at it and that's the way I look at it uh, and I don't think it's necessarily pessimistic. I think that, yeah, Lovecraft was very pes pessimistic about that. But um, I think it's just that the universe is so vast and so uh, completely beyond our reach in terms of how big its scope is. Um, basically, the probability of something like that happening is just, you know, it's it's very high because it's so big. It's like, it's uh, there's a probability that there has been life forms formed on the far reaches of the universe. Uh, you know, light is away from us. More than likely, yeah. Yeah, and and they might be might have developed in a completely different way. Maybe they don't need to be carbon based. Maybe we, they don't need to uh, have oxygen or liquid water to exist. Uh, it's just the thing that we know. Uh, but I don't think that the insignificance of humanity necessarily has to be pessimistic because one thing, being small is actually very safe because 
uh, first of all, uh, if there are alien uh, life forms that might have wanted to you know, conquer us or something, first they would have to find us, which isn't very likely because I think by now we might have some sort of uh, signal from them. And secondly, stuff like uh, asteroids and other things uh, don't hit us that often because we're just so small. Third of all, we're basically the terminator of our own Earth. <laughs> like, have you ever looked up what human, mm. like, how humans work versus every other animal? Like, by anyone, like, apparently, according, we are like one of the few animals that don't just don't get tired after like ten minutes. Like the only ones that can keep up with us are dogs. Yeah, it's like dogs have evolved alongside humans, and that's probably why they are so good with their constitution. It's basically we're all we're all eighteens uh, and that wink wink to D and D players. Actually, swinging back around to mist though, because we're talking about how like there's Lovecraftian aesthetics like in mist. You go back to like uh, Greek mythology and you have like Scylla who has you know the six hydra heads, not hydra heads, but six like snake heads, and then you have Charybdis, which is basically the sarlacc yeah. in the ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is the best way to describe. It's a dude. It's a giant whirlpool that tries to swallow you and eat you. I mean, it's it's a it's the ocean sarlacc. That's what it is. See? <laughs> Fair enough. It's like, but then like you circle like yeah, it's like skip ahead a few hundred years, get to uh, like Dante Alighieri's uh, Divine Comedy, and then you get to this weird part in Paradiso when he's describing cherubs, and they are have a bull, a lion, and a ram face, and four wings, and that's it. And their uh, their wings are covered in eyes. Yeah. That seems like uh, something that co- would come right out of Eldritch Horror, and that's supposed to be one of the uh, higher orders of angels. I think it's the third order? It's yeah, it's like, when you look at even, you know, just the descriptions of uh, of angels in any of the books of of, uh, of the Bible, it's like, some of them are, you know, just like... Uh, the church likes to kind of uh, see them as you know beautiful humanoid creatures, but some of the descriptions are just downright terrifying. It's like they do not seem like humanoids with wings. They seem like uh, like divine Azathoths, basically. Yes, especially like the thing is, it depends on the ones you're looking at, because like you look at the seraphim or some of the. And this is a weird point of contention of, like, if the named angels are all seraphim or not. Because, like, you have, like, the angels of the cardinal directions, Gabriel, Uriel, Michael, and Raphael. And uh, I'm not going to go into a tangent about angelic lore because that'll take us off for way too long. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, basically, I think what we can agree on is that the pantheons of uh, very different, uh, you know, uh, pagan or Semitic or any other cults... um, uh, you know, filled brims with with uh, creations that could fill Lovecraft's uh, mind with this, these images, and whether he would agree with that or not doesn't really matter because I guess, you know, him being a very uh, you know well-read child, I would say, uh, basically spending his old childhood in his grandfather's uh, library reading you know both uh books on math and physics and on uh you know, ghost stories uh i guess that even if he didn't uh, you know want to admit it before himself i guess it would just get into his subconscious it's like it's the idea of uh i'm pretty sure i've heard of that and i, I don't want to butcher the name but it's basically like the collective uh unconscious it's basically that there are ideas that get passed down 
uh, in our culture uh, that you don't even have to think about, but you're aware of them because they've been uh, they they have been basically uh, imprinted on every single aspect of our lives in our language and, and so on. I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly. Like, I'll tell you one thing that will last forever. Like a good example of this is like, I can just just start with this. Mama just killed a man, and you have the whole song in your head right now, don't you? Yeah, and it's like people. There's people who haven't heard this song, like in its either in its entirety or like at all. They might have just heard the parents sing along to it yep. or something, but they know it. And the same goes with with myths, with with religion, with stuff like uh, uh, another really easy example is that when people say Jesus, like just out loud, they rarely think of the figure of Jesus. It's usually a shock. It's it's just a figure of speech, but it came from someone. Don't say it's a figure of speech in my old house. You're gonna you would get whipped for that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard. Is it true? Uh, I know you're not from not from from around here, but. I've heard stories of of uh, of the South, uh, of the U.S. that in some parts uh, it would actually be more like you could say "damn it," but saying "god damn it" would be seen as something very nasty. Oh yes, it would. You're talking about Baptists, and you do not talk to those people if you want to live. <laughs> They're like, like I uh, guess I so. say, You know how like people say Jehovah's Witnesses are annoying. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is like the level of cultish that just borders on insane. Yeah, I mean, that's as Lovecraftian as you get. Baptists. It's like, disclaimer, not all Baptists are like this, but I've talked to like seven different ones, and they all are very, 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 very strict, <laughs> and not lax at all when it comes to very minor things. I imagine that to be true, yeah. Um, but... Just to get into uh, some of the works in fiction that could actually be seen as Lovecraftian, do you think there are any uh, things in cinema that capture uh, the essence of what Lovecraftian could actually be? Not in recent cinema, honestly, but as far as... like. The thing is, unless you're talking about very, this goes back to where we define gods, because not like for one for one area, like if you're talking about the general like shapeless ambient horror, there's not much besides a really good horror movie, or like if you're talking about just the ambient horror, like the original Dracula novel does that well, building up the mystery. But when you're talking about like a representing a Lovecraftian creature, the only one we seem to ever get right is Nyarlathep. And that's because he's very different from the rest of the whole uh, Outer God Pantheon. It, okay, let's take a minute to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Basically, we were talking about earlier about how like you're insignificant. No, None of these Elder Gods give a shit about you. Nihalahotep, he is the express exception. He is like, he takes great pride in torturing and using humans. Like, he's basically a master puppeteer. And he likes using humans, like making them dance for his own amusement. And that archetype, I actually see done kind of very well in a lot of media. Like the mastermind puppet, the puppet master, like at least archetype, as a villain or as a hero, oddly enough. Like, I'm not going to go into a media example, but 
a good example of what Nyarlathotep would act like if he was a character would be, and I know you haven't watched this show, and I wish I could get you into it, but I know the art style isn't like you, is the main character Code Geass, Lelouch. Actually, I actually have it on my watch list. I will eventually get into it. Like, basically, it's like you mashed together one crucial thing from Irish mythology and uh, some Lovecraft, Lovecraftian character archetype of the trickster of Neolotep and how puppeteering he is. Mainly the puppeteering, because ultimately Lelouch is a good guy. But that's the best example as far as the trickster archetype. As far as, like, the pure evil just enjoys for their own amusement stuff... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Technically, uh, okay, this is a, these are bad, these are not good movies, but it's a good example. It'd be Jigsaw from Saw. Yeah. It's like, as a pure version of, as a pure, like, Anthony and Diarlodep. But I think, you know what, I, I think that, uh, with, with Jigsaw, there's the problem of, uh, and you know, it's it's. I guess it's also uh, shows how difficult it is to actually pull off in a movie because you always need some sort of not really agency, but I guess some kind of motive that's realistic for our morality. And what I mean is, you know, like I really like this term. Uh, first, I found obviously uh, as any good uh, naming. On TV tropes of uh, you know blue, I, I think it was blue and orange morality. Basically, of morality that's completely alien to our uh, to our understanding, uh, that would be possible for like alien uh, life forms or something like that. But with Jigsaw, the problem is that he sees himself as moral in the human uh, aspect. He sees himself as the redeemer of souls, basically sees himself as the hero of his own story and that's specifically not Lovecraftian I think I think that you know a villain that like actively wants to create a better world is is not exactly Lovecraftian I'm trying to like you're right about that I gonna be honest I was just going off I don't actually I haven't actually watched any of the movies so I didn't actually know there was a thing I was just going out the persona that he gives off yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you're right, and that's that's I think, I think this is going back to you know aesthetic and and thematic because when I was thinking about uh, and it's not necessarily thematic in terms of the corruption horror, but maybe aesthetic and yeah, in some movies thematic as well would be uh, you know Cronenberg and John Carpenter. So which one do we want to start with? Do we want to start with? The thing. Do we want to start with the fly? I guess I have less to say about the fly than than the thing. So I guess we can start with the fly. Um, the fly is, for me, very. Um, it's uh, the rea- reanimator. Obviously, yeah. It's it's the only uh, short story of Lovecraft that I think of where the whole agency is given to a human being, the agency of you know creating horror. It's basically like you know, it's it's most of the it's actually one of the uh, very first uh, prototypical zombie uh, stories, uh, aside from Frankenstein, basically, not being uh, straight you know, uh, an homage to to voodoo magic or anything like that. But other than that, I think you know, just just a scientist being so preoccupied with his work. Uh, as to completely disregard their own existence 
and it's it's very you know it's very unsettling and i think that the the process of being dehumanized and not really caring about that is kind of scary to us well in a way that story's kind of a ripoff because are you familiar with franz kafka's metamorphosis oh absolutely yes uh do you want to do you want to give us a do you want to give us like a short uh, summary of what happens yeah tldr for franz kafka's metamorphosis a very alienated guy feels lonely in his house starts turning into a cockroach randomly and he is almost like he is like nonchalant about being turned into a cockroach his family slowly starts to abuse him starts to become independent like basically he was the sole breadwinner for his family it's like then his family had to go get jobs after he turned into a cockroach and he doesn't even care that he dies because alienation and now he's a bug that he's always seen himself as yeah whereas reanimator is kind of a i want to say inverse or the fly are both inverses of that where when they become the monster correct me if i'm wrong if i may be misremembering but don't they get more agency when they become monsters um it's like i guess you could say that in the reanimator the dead bodies that get reanimated get more agency but they and they actually get some semblance of like uh consciousness and like even even thoughts of revenge sort of uh but i think that i haven't really thought about that before but what makes uh reanimator more frankenstein than metamorphosis is the fact that the doctor is the real monster in the story i guess i mean that's that's a fair point but and in that case in that case i would say that maybe uh, the fly is actually more Frankenstein than Lovecraftian. I just hope the doctor's less of a whiny bitch than Victor was. Oh my god. I'm not even <laughs> kidding. You read Frankenstein and Victor is the whiniest little emo prick. Yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. Sorry. Mary Shelley, you're a great writer, but stop basing your novels off your friends. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure she can't really write any more novels right now. I mean, if the reanimator turns out to be true, she could. I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fly. The fly is very visually grotesque, and uh, I would. And we're say... not just talking about Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, no. Mad props to him. He actually he looks he looks good mean, in Thor. Whenever Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is on the screen, I feel stimulated. I don't know what you mean. Like the gro- grotesque metamorphosis that happens. I guess it's you know it's very body horror. But you know, body horror can be part of Lovecraftian uh, imagery, but it doesn't have to be, I guess. Like, not a, a lot of Lovecraftian fiction is explicitly gory. No, it's there's actually very little blood. It's mostly like insanity and horror. Yeah, it's it's more like the psychological aspect of it, I think. Uh, but it's not that there isn't the uh, psychological aspect of of uh, in the fly. It's it's you know going insane is very much you know the 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 theme there. I think one of the you know, one of the more striking uh, scenes in the movie isn't even like the full you know just tearing off of the human flesh that happens. It's more the fact that and uh, you know that. Uh, that ear scene where his ear falls off it's like very you know it's like oh okay i guess this is happening yeah well like he doesn't even give a shit that's what that's the creepy part about it yeah yeah basically though i think you know when you uh going to the thing the thing is a little bit more uh 
Lovecraftian, especially when you take into consideration the original uh, that it was based off and uh, the the original movie, the thing from outer space that wasn't exactly that hasn't aged that well. Well, the old the first short story is the thing from another world, right? Yeah. So like. And the thing is, that's an old, old science fiction story. The, the thing is, probably the best adaptation of it there's been. Yeah, but it's it's like the, the the Carpenter's version of the thing is just adds a lot of the uh, uncanny uh, visuals. Well, and okay, yeah. uh, can we talk about a keyword with that at least? Sure. There's a keyword that is like part of every Lovecraft story and most Lovecraft horror. Beyond insignificance, paranoia. Is the keyword for every like all Lovecraft like all Lovecraft based horror is paranoia, okay, yeah. and I'd argue that the th- th- I'd argue that the thing is one of the best movies for instilling the fear of paranoia, the doubt of everyone around you, because, and like arguably like if you picked out a eldritch god to pick for that interpretation, it wouldn't be one of the smarter ones. Well, it would be one of the smarter ones. Have you ever read the uh, the fanfic The Things? No, I haven't. It's a fanfic. It actually got featured in a, uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Papa Geek or something, but someone rewrote the entire John Carpenter novel from the perspective of the monster. And it was actually interesting because it, like, it starts questioning why they do stuff, and it's like it makes it completely alien. It actually tries to like fill in some gaps in the John, the John Carpenter version. Like, why is that spaceship being built? But, you know, I think that's, that's sometimes leaving stuff out of you know out out of the the spotlights uh, getting stuff not really uh, not not having it you know out there to, to for the taking is part of the charm of of horror not knowing well yeah you this is the thing about horror you don't show you don't te- you don't tell you basically feel like all horror, great horror is atmosphere and paranoia is the key to I want to say I want to say Eldritch horror, but that's the right Lovecraftian title horror. Paranoia is the key. Whereas, like when you have something like a uh, let's compare and contrast like Dracula versus Cthulhu real quick, in terms of like horror monsters. Like, if you read the original novel Dracula, it's a slow burn, much like uh, and where uh, Lovecraft has mostly short stories. But like the danger for Dracula is more that there's a mounting monster with a physical presence, and it's just a very sneaky monster. It's like the terror in, and like the thing is, the paranoia would get swimming apart, but this monster can be defeated by uniting together. And Lovecraft is kind of the thing where it's the horror of what happens when that paranoia overcomes you. Because there's a bit of paranoia in each, but if you compare them as monsters that, like, well, sorry, Dracula's got nothing on either, even Cthulhu, because, again, insignificant god mythos thing. Yeah, I mean, I, you've got you've got a good point there, but um, I think yeah, this this feeling of paranoia in in uh, in the thing is great because it's like you've also got this isolated uh, space that immediately makes me think of at the mountains of madness, you know, like a remote station in like the mountains and there's just snow everywhere and you can't really you know run away yeah, fr- from there but uh, it's it's much more much more grotesque and i think you know it's uh, it's the prime example of why uh practical special effects are uh, age 
much better than uh, computer graphics. Well, I'd argue that modern computer graphics are pretty good, but like from the time you're talking about, definitely. And I'd rather, I would definitely still rather have a lot more practical effects. Hence, why Mad Max is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, like Mad Max, uh, the, the, yeah. the newest one, has an insane amount of practical special effects for a twenty what sixteen release, I believe. Yeah, it's like. Uh, and like going to practical special effects, it's like um, there's this small Canadian independent movie uh, called The Void, which was uh, partially crowdfunded, and it's specifically built to be a Lovecraftian horror movie with uh, an homage to practical special effects uh, of creators such as you know, John Carpenter and and Cronenberg, and it's it 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 has this atmosphere of not knowing what happens, not knowing what's the deal with uh, the entity that is behind all that. We don't get any explanation what exactly is that uh, attacks people. Basically, it's like you get thrown into the action immediately. You've got people stuck in a uh, hospital uh, in a small village, basically, and there's cultists appearing outside so they can get out. And then, like, strange things start to happen inside. There's monsters appearing. Uh, one of them gets kidnapped. You know, it's it's crazy. And then there's the finale, which is basically completely uncanny and weird and cosmic in every single aspect. And there's not really much explanation of why any of that happens. Uh, but one other movie that also makes me think of Lovecraftian horror, and it is often uh, treated as such, is Carpenter's uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. It's yeah. Besides being basically a a little bit of a homage to Stephen King, uh, with this whole Sada Kane, uh, kind of mock, uh, you know, craze about um, about a horror writer. Uh, but again, there's this theme of just you know something being the way it is and harming people, harming humanity, just because it exists, just because it's its nature. It's something that it cannot really help. It's something that. Uh, is beyond our understanding and beyond our morality. Speaking of which, that's probably the most prolific Lovecraftian writer of the modern day is everything by Stephen King. Okay, think about... Okay, let's think about it and Pennywise. It's a shape-shifting alien spider that eats the fear of kids. If that doesn't fit into the Lovecraft mythos, I don't know what does. There's actually a... Actually, wait, no. I can tell you exactly which... I can tell you exactly which god that is, too. All right, go ahead. Because I have a list. That would be... Where was it? A giant spider with a human last face. Altak Naka. Well, I guess I guess you, you can uh, create a whole Lovecraftian bingo with these deities. I know, but like you think about that and think about think about all the at least the ones that got crappy miniseries like the Langoliers with the things that just yeah. ate reality. It's like, and then you have the uh, then you have the entirety of the Dark Tower, you know, where the giant cosmic turtle is holding up the tower against the man in black. And then God intervenes, and then God intervenes with the power of uh, of, of ton of tweens to kill it. Actually, yeah, I haven't really thought about Stephen King, uh, King, being uh, yeah. Lovecraftian. Actually, anyway, I gotta like I gotta look up the quote right because he's reading through some of the Steve like he does like he he can do audiobooks. I don't know how he can like I I just can't do him because like if I read a book I have to read it. So I can hear the characters' voices, not someone else saying what they're saying. Yeah, just, gotcha, gotcha. It just sounds weird to have like Stephen Fry say, and then the twelve-year-old girl said, <laughs> and then have it going Stephen Fry's voice. 
I guess I guess for me the audiobooks lend themselves better towards like non-fiction especially when the writer themselves uh reads the book out loud yeah just a second let me find this quote all right uh where was it? i mean i talked to i talked to my friend joe too much sometimes uh oh yeah like and also time travelers show up in this so okay oh yeah here we go i really liked it's like he saw he was talking about the uh uh 13 uh Eleven twenty-two sixty-three. The Stephen King story about the time traveler who tried to prevent the Kennedy assassination. But like, I love the quote. Me too. I really liked while listening to this, being reminded that this time travel love story is happening adjacent to a proxy war between an eldritch spider and a turtle god who use a bunch of eleven-year-old kids as their agents and victims. That is all one hundred percent canon in this King verse of the Dark Tower, because all of his books apparently take place around the Dark Tower. So. Why can't we have a good Stephen King cinematic universe? Because <laughs> this actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah, it, absolutely. But uh, we just have no luck in that. I mean, I do like the old uh, It miniseries. I haven't watched the new one. I don't know how good it is or how bad it is. I haven't seen it either. I just heard it. I heard it's mixed. Like I heard it's a better one than the Tim Curry one, but I heard the Tim Curry one's more memorable. I mean, like people sometimes make fun of... Uh, Tim Curry as as uh, Pennywise, but honestly, I like the charisma behind the character. Like, uh, uh, anybody Tim Curry becomes, well, that's what it makes it gold. That's what makes it creepy because he's so charismatic and likable. It's easy to see why kids would be lured in and killed by him. Yeah, I think I think like visually, I have the same problem. I mean, it might be a good movie. I don't know, but visually, what I have the problem with uh, with the new Pennywise, it looks creepy. Problem. I have yeah I have the same problem as I had with um with the newer design of Freddy uh from Nightmare on Elm Street just lacking this kind of charismatic human like quality Which version of Nightmare on Elm Street was that? Uh there was a there was a like reboot that didn't really go anywhere and wasn't really any any good you shouldn't Shouldn't worry about them I, too much. Like I probably forgot about it. I like I have the original. I have like up to Freddy vs. Jason uh, collected. Like both those movie series. Yeah, I mean, let's let's. I, I I'd say that Nightmare on Elm Street was the better series of the two, but there is some fun to be had in Friday the Thirteenth as well. Friday the Thirteenth is good for popcorn. Oh, absolutely, especially when uh when Jason goes to New York and starts bashing people with boom boxes and whatnot. Yeah, and then space. Yay! That's that's that was the most ridiculous, but I guess it was supposed to be. Well, dude, it's more ridiculous than having a leprechaun as the horror villain. Yeah. And that had that thing had eight movies. Unfortunately. And two of them had like was was in the hood, or something I can't say because I'm not black. Oh, was it that bad? I'm pretty sure one of the titles actually said that. I can't remember exactly. Oh God! Well, um, well, we can segue from that uh, cinematic world, and uh, I want to just bri- briefly talk about uh, Lovecraftian horror and uh, and video games, because uh, there's a very specific problem, and I think a little bit of a uh, dichotomy that doesn't really lend itself towards being you know Lovecraftian video games I guess it's that video games are designed to have player agency 
Lovecraftian horror is supposed to take the agency out of humans. I think you can see where the problem is. Yeah, like, this can all be summed up with one line. You can't give Cthulhu a health bar, make defeats the point. Yeah, it's like, if you give if you give Cthulhu a life bar, you lose, basically. And that's one thing that, even though I love the game, however buggy mess it was, I mean, the, I believe, 2005 uh, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, love that game, but the second half of the game turns into a shooter, which is a big no-no. Yeah. Well, it's... that's the problem with making a game and not, like... I. But this way it kind of works as, like, a Call of Cthulhu tabletop RPG where you know your characters are going to die half the time anyways. Yeah, they, they're either going to... Like, like, the Call of Cthulhu tabletop game is designed to have players uh, succeed in <clears throat> breaking even. You never succeed in, like, actually defeating any of the elder gods or anything like that it's yeah you managed to survive that's your victory that's the best you can do and uh video games are a little bit more objective based they're a little bit more they're not really uh storytelling experiences per se they can be but the main purpose of them usually is to achieve victory is to achieve certain goals uh, but one video game that I think came very close to replicating the idea of Lovecraftian horror was uh, Eternal Darkness on the GameCube. Oh, yes! Just for the feeling of how powerless you are? Yes, absolutely. It's For those uninitiated, uh, Eternal Darkness was basically... Uh, actually, the full title is, uh, and is very important, Eternal Darkness Sanitis Requiem uh, is... Famous for uh, introducing a couple of things. First of all, it's one of the only classic uh, survival horror games that don't have extremely painful controls. So the idea that the uh, fear is coming from the fact that you're controlling a human-sized tank uh, is basically thrown out of the window because you can control your character just fine. The, the horror comes from all your surroundings and whatever happens not only to the character but to the player themselves because the character besides having a health bar also has what's called a sanity meter which gets depleted whenever you're um, uh, surrounded by um, extremely graphic or unsettling imagery and what happens is basically all hell breaks loose your character can suddenly lose their head uh, only to get it retached just a few seconds later. Uh, you can have your TV muted. You can have a message pop up that your memory card has been uh, corrupted and all your self file, uh, save files have been uh, deleted. And so on and so forth. It's like the whole game is basically acting against you. Back in my day, we didn't have this doki doki literature club. We had eternal darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much what I wanted to tell, say. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what like basically every game like Undertale and Doki Doki Literature Club, any game that like fucks with you on a meta level right now, is it's like this is what it owes its existence to. Yeah. at least in the modern. Yeah. There's probably games before it, but this is the game that people who still play games today absolutely remember. Because <laughs> this game will screw with you so much and jerk you around. Absolutely, it's it's like. I've st actually, yeah, I, I started uh, describing all these things that you have there, like the uh, 
sound suddenly going off and and messages of errors and stuff like that and then and then I'm, I'm like wait a minute I've played something like that this year actually and I haven't thought about it in terms of Lovecraftian horror in the slightest and anybody who would go on the steam page of the of that game would be like okay what the fuck are you talking about it actually reminds me of this incident I saw a while ago like are you familiar at all with happy tree friends yeah okay well it's on Netflix it's on Netflix in America I think I think I've actually seen it on Netflix. Yeah, but I I remember I remember seeing it as you know just flash animations. Uh, I th- I believe it was animated in Flash. Well, like I remember, like just example of this, it's like I remember someone said it's like it was it's under dark TV shows on Netflix appropriately. Someone oh, yeah. thought they they like someone thought they were lying. They tested it. The reaction was glorious. <laughs> well, that's what you get for not reading the uh, warning signs. It's like. The same happens with Doki Doki uh, Literature Club. It's like all the you know all all the warning messages are there for a reason. If you want a cute pink uh, dating sim with anime graphics, there's plenty to choose from, but that's not one of them. If you like uh, strange, uh, uncanny, cosmic horror uh, featuring a uh, deranged character that basically maims and kills everybody around him yeah that's that's more for you yeah and it happens to have a bitching soundtrack and cute graphics i didn't expect the like bitching to be applied to that soundtrack then again then again i, I mean, get... that piano theme is my jam uh, true so sorry i've been on like an adrenaline kick lately with my music where it's just it's all like heavy drums and hard rock for a minute <laughs> Yeah, like going from that to whatever is in Doki Doki Literature Club, it's yeah, pretty much. Pretty that's my, much. that's but... my best approximation. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil too much for people who haven't played it yet because it's still a little fresh in people's memory. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. There's been rumors about the fact that it might actually be a PR stunt. Uh, not really a PR stunt because a PR stunt would uh, basically mean that it wasn't a game. It was a game. It was a full product. It was a great full product uh, that we received for free. But some people believe that it might actually have been something more akin to uh, what PT was supposed to be silent to Silent Hills. A playable trailer. Okay. Yeah, it's like uh, because it is a very short thing, and it might be something that might be expanded later on, but. I don't know if the rumors have any truth behind them, especially because any uh, things that that the creator talks about the game seems to suggest that this is a full project that he would not expand on any anymore, at least not in the uh, up, you know uh, in the coming future. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well. Uh, is there anything else in video games that might lend itself to Lovecraftian horror? Design-wise, like Bloodborne from a few years ago was definitely a thing. Oh yeah, like, definitely. With its, with its technically enemies, and it's like, and the fact that you gained knowledge of the true world by consuming this is a cool thing. Like you got insight, like knowledge of how the true world looks by consuming something called Madman's Knowledge, which yeah. kind of fits in. Like you basically have to become insane. To understand what's going on. And I have to say that because I haven't played the game because I don't have a PS4, but 
uh, I I've seen some reviews and I've seen the speedrun on the recent AGDQ uh, of that game. I have to say, some of the creations in this uh, game really make me feel like shivers and make me feel unsettled for for a while. It's like they did a really good job on making these very you know unspecific, uh, creative, and uncanny create uh, creatures in this game. Yeah, they did a lot, especially with like some of the later ones. It's actually kind of interesting. The DLC, there's actually like. It feels almost like an entire Lovecraft reference because it feels like Lovecraft because the last the last boss yep. is called the Orphan of Kos, and it gets born from its mother's corpse at an ocean, and then once you beat it, and it's basically this thing that attacks you with its own umbilical cord, I think, that's attached to like a giant hook, that's or it's like it's metal. Yeah, it is but, very metal. But like basically, once it dies, the darkness retreats from the ocean. And the ocean is actually above a giant clock tower. And it's very weird. It's, kind of, it's awesome, but very weird. Yeah. But, like, like, the whole DLC for the Astral Clock Tower. And also, like, of course, there's tentacles everywhere, especially, like, melting students. And, again, that same thing I mentioned earlier with It, they actually have an NPC. Like, do you remember how... You ever played Dark Souls, the original? Yeah. You remember Patches? Mm, Yeah. The bald guy who kicks you into the pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind yeah. of a running joke. And this, yeah. Now he's a spider with us with the same face and same voice. Oh, well. But like human face spider, which is basically just another like this design again that I mentioned earlier for it of a, uh, what's his face? Mm. Altachnaka. Yeah. Like, because the only like, uh, that's more like again, that's more like uh, maybe. A, a little bit thematic, but mostly like visual, I guess. Uh, but yet again, the law of the world is specifically very cosmic and very unsettling and very, uh, I guess, uh, not very comfortable for for humanity. Well, you got to remember, this is also in the Souls series of games, yeah, which actually is one of the few games that kind of can make Eldritch Horror feel, if not perfect, because you still give stuff a health bar and can overcome it at least a bit more uh, hard because it's a it's a hard-ass game. Yeah, yeah. Especially the Orphan of Cost. Holy crap, that thing is annoying. <laughs> but I think that uh, something that kind of went uh, out of style, meaning, uh, well, there are some indie games or like even the Telltale games, but uh, like traditional point-and-click adventure games lend themselves very good towards like like Lovecraft and horror because they couldn't rely uh, too much on uh, people having like players having to escape quickly from like tight corridors or anything like that uh, Resident Evil style or something because uh, because it basically wasn't just style of gameplay like it was mostly solving puzzles and stuff and I think this this actually fits the theme of People digging too deep and wanting to know too much, uh, like you know, it fits perfectly with with Lovecraftian themes. It's like because you know, games like Monkey Island or you know, uh, Grim Fandango or whatever. It's like they are all built around the fact that you are digging deeper, solving puzzles, collecting items, but 
you know, the the Lovecraftian uh, point and click games, like uh, as I've said, uh, I believe it was called. Oh god, I forgot about the name. Uh, Prisoner of uh, Prisoner Under Ice or something like that. Well, uh, if you if it, well well even like uh, traditional survival horror games, uh, the granddaddy of them, the yeah, Alone in the Dark is very Lovecraftian. It's got basically the exact book that is Necronomicon. It's got strange uh, shapes appearing in the sky, and 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 it lends itself perfectly for this type of uh, horror. Even though you know the graphics make it seem silly nowadays, it's uh, it's it's very strange and very uh, difficult to describe. Even and I think it's it's good that it wasn't overly re reliant on uh, on combat. Because combat itself is very not Lovecraftian. Yeah, you don't. You can't really fight. If you're fighting, you're doing. If you're fighting, you're doing Lovecraft wrong. Yeah, I mean, you can fight like, you can fight lesser things. You can fight them off. You can't really fight them. You can't finish them. You can't really, you know, like the fact that, for instance, like you go into Dunwich Horror, the fact that the creature dies is basically because you know. Not really that humans kill it. It's more that it was supposed to die. It was like the you know it it wouldn't survive anyway. Maybe Lovecraft uh, would lend itself more towards like all these walking simulators where agency of the player isn't really that big of a deal. But again, it's bordering on interactive entertainment, uh, not exactly video games, at least in my opinion. So I guess that the fact that there weren't really that many good uh, Lovecraftian or like that many in general Lovecraftian uh, themed uh, pieces of media is just because it's so difficult to grasp what it really is and we haven't really talked too much about like official releases of uh, like Lovecraftian movies for instance but if we look at it they often are very you know mismatched or don't even follow the names because there's a Spanish horror movie from 2001 called Dagon, which is actually more about Shadow of Innsmouth. There's a 2007 film called Cthulhu that has barely any connection to Cthulhu, and again, is more about Shadow of Innsmouth. There's also a 1993 movie called Necronomicon, which is complete horseshit, and there's also a 1985 movie Reanimator, actually H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator, which is... Uh, kind of a good, funny, campy horror movie, but it doesn't have that much to do with the source material. And finally, there is a absolutely terrible 2007 movie called The Tomb, being one of my favorite sh short stories of Lovecraft, called, actually in its full name, H.P. Lovecraft's The Tomb, that has nothing to do with Lovecraft whatsoever, and is actually a cheap knockoff of Saw. So, Lovecraft... Lovecraft doesn't have any luck with movies. That's just... That's just... Okay, for good Lovecraft, just recommendation. For good Lovecraftian horror, even though it's not, like, officially called Lovecraft, just go read Hellboy. Yeah. Go read, like, the Hellboy go, universe. Go read Hellboy. That does look... Go watch The Void. Go watch The Thing and The Fly. And go play Eternal Darkness and you're all set. And also... The, also, for maximum effect of playing Eternal Darkness, make sure you're drunk. Um... Depends on what type of drunk you are, actually, I think. Whiskey drunk. And that's... Uh, Chris, that's not what I mean. 
Are you trying to say they should be high instead? Um, that might actually end not that well. Depends on uh, depends on what uh, I if... what floor you're playing on. Because if you jump out the window, you might hurt yourself. I wonder how chill Nearlatev would be if you gave him a cookie filled with pot. You mean like like edibles? Yeah, like give him a pot cookie. Um, not so sure. I we don't have these here. You don't have pot. Wait, you're in Europe. Don't you have pot cookies anyways? Uh, weed's not legal in my country. Oh, yeah, Poland's... Yeah, sorry. It's like, what? How far is it to get to Portugal? To Portugal, yeah. Portugal is like the other end of the of, of Europe. Like, it, it would be much easier to get to uh, to the Netherlands. Where it's legal there, too? Okay, well... Actually, how far away is Portugal? Yeah, Netherlands Netherlands was one of the first countries where, where weed... Okay, how far legal. away is, how far away is uh, Portugal from you, like, hour-wise? Oh shit! That would be uh, like on a plane or uh, driving. Driving, Jesus! I don't know uh, who who drives from from here to Portugal, but I can see from Warsaw to to let's say Lisboa. Google Google Maps, help me! No, that's not what I wanted. There's it's giving me a company that's named Lisbon in Warsaw. That's not what I wanted to see. Uh, distance. Uh, give me distance. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to load up maps. Oh, there it is. Uh, that's perfect. I need to know how long it takes to drive from Warsaw to Lisbon. I need to know. Maybe the Eldritch Gods are preventing you from seeing this. It's a forbidden knowledge. It's like Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Where's that? Wait a second. I gotta remember. This is the thing. I gotta send you the link to this. Oh, yeah. Side note for everybody in this podcast, because I'm still recording. There is an H... There is an H.P. Lovecraft musical called A Shoggoth on the Roof. So, just so you know, that that exists. And it's a full musical. What would be... Okay, so it's Shoggoth on the Roof. What's on the what's on the shelf, though? Uh, I believe it's a... I believe it's a tentacle. No, it needs to rhyme. God damn it. Okay, I, 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 I checked it. I checked it how much it is. So, to get to Lisbon from... Warsaw, it's uh, over 3,000 kilometers, which is... Drum roll, please! Let me check. Drum roll. Fucking Imperial units. That's uh, over 1,800 miles. Okay. That says... It says it would be like uh, 32 hours of driving. Yeah, so... Yeah, about a day. But it's just four hours on a plane. Okay, so Europe is slightly bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a cool. There's actually this very cool app on the internet where you can see the true size of any country when you drag it around the map because you know maps warp. Uh, oh yeah, like the, the sizes of continents because you know you put uh, a round shape on a flat plane basically. Yeah. Because, like, that's the problem with it, because, like, the like, U.S. is only as big as the Sahara. Uh, I hope that we didn't ramble on too much in this episode. I hope that we got a little bit of something to enjoy out of this episode. It's like, don't go insane while listening to this episode. Or else will hunt you down. I'm kidding. He can't hunt you down. He's a blind idiot, God. Yep. Oh, that's, that's, that's deist. Oh, what would be, what would it's be It's not the... deist. It's not deist if it's his title. Uh, I mean, he didn't choose it himself. 
It's people who gave him this title. Eh, mortals. Well, either way, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time in the next episode of Swords and Shotguns. Doo-doo-doo!